0: This is The Analysis, a weekly examination of the culture in light of truth. I'm Deanna Huff.
1: And I'm Mark DeMoss. Join us as we investigate and analyze the environment of the world where we live.
0: We will be shedding the light of God's Word on the issues.
1: And responding as Christians to influence followers of Jesus Christ to share the gospel with those around them.
0: Atheism has become a popular topic in our day and time. In fact, CNN a few years back did a documentary regarding atheists within America. We're gonna listen to a few minutes of this report as we move into the podcast today.
1: The following is a CNN special report. There is no one creator.
0: They say there is no God on the campus of the University of North Georgia.
1: This is for Ask an Atheist.
0: The Gormley son has chosen a life without God.
1: Nice to meet you. I'm David. We're part of the uh, North Georgia Skeptic Society.
0: David Gormley is an atheist.
1: Jesus was probably a historical person.
0: An activist.
1: But what evidence is there about him being the son of God and being there to fulfill the law of the Old Testament? Loud and proud. As we're recording today, we're moving into the weekend that leads us to What we commonly call Easter and the celebration of the resurrection. And churches all over uh, our state and around the world are preparing to celebrate Easter Sundays and, and doing all kinds of things to get ready. Here in Oklahoma City where we live, there is also this weekend taking place a national convention for atheists of America. And they've been promoting that conference. They've been advertising the conference. We're we're also aware they've held a debate with a Christian during the weekend. And uh, all those things have been publicized. And it's interesting. Obviously, the timing, I'm sure, is intentional. Uh, I haven't looked into that. Uh, I'm making that assumption. They know it's Easter weekend. There's usually a good, strong movement of atheists during this time of year to just try to plant the seeds and reminders again of these are fanciful ideas, these are false ideas. And what they're really doing is trying to paint a different story, a different storyline, a different narrative. We've talked a lot about the meta-narrative of scripture. They're trying to create a different narrative. This is the narrative of how life began and why life exists and what's going to happen in your life. They're painting that picture. Uh, In light of the narrative they're telling, the narrative that we will share, come Easter Sunday, the narrative of the resurrection, which is the big piece of our big story, right? This is the main event uh, we believe of the world. The resurrection Mm -hmm. of Jesus Christ fashions the rest of the world. Um, In light of those two narratives being told, and then just really trying to interact with regular society. So you have the atheist kind of, academic, elitist thinking, and then you would have the argumentation side of the truth of the resurrection and all that, but just people living their life. Why, why do we live in a state where we're resistant to a written record, a narrative that has reliability, and want to fashion our own little storylines, and maybe even gravitate to some of these other false storylines? Atheism is, it's not counted as a world religion. I'd call it another world religion, like Judaism or Hinduism or Islam. It's another worldview. Why do we resist the worldview that we've been given, oftentimes as believers, and drift toward these other worldviews?
0: Yeah, isn't that so interesting that we've been talking about this narrative idea, as you said, and it's really not new, is it? Because when we look at the Old Testament, we see that Israel was set apart to be able to declare God's glory. And he was teaching them to love him with their whole heart, mind and soul, and then love with their neighbors ourselves. And what they do, it's so interesting to see because they look around at the other nations and they're like, We want to be like the other nations. Yeah. I want a king. I want to you know and so they begin to fall into idolatry and they begin to set up places of worship Mm -hmm. that are different from what Yahweh has given them. And then God intervenes, right? He steps in and he says, you know, you're going to go into the exile and in the exile for 70 years and and I'm going to allow you this time to be disciplined so that you return to me. And then he says, but that's not all, right? There's going to be a new covenant coming. And so I think in people, we see this from the very beginning of Genesis that we want to go our own way. We want to do our own thing. And we don't want to follow what God's given us. Don't eat from the tree here, (laughs) but you can have everything else, and so we decide, hey, we're going to go our own way, and then we fall into sin, and so now our sin nature is leading us down this road, and the greatest thing is that we have this God that is telling us how to be restored, how to overcome sin, and yet we have still within our, our nature to say, we don't want that god yeah. you don't want
1: that yeah we're resistant to it and one of the things that we see among our our youngest generation that's getting any study any look or think about generation z and there's other names that have been attached to that but the generation behind the millennials uh, which a ton of studies have been done on millennials and people are trying to figure out generation z now but in looking at generation z we we see this real strong uh tendency I think in them, you pointed this out earlier, that uh the narrative they want to write comes from themselves and not their own thinking as much as their own feelings. And they're m- very driven by their feelings. And that really is the idea of the scripture, what like everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes is yeah. a repeated theme. And uh, like that's what they're doing. Like this is what feels right to me. And so I'm going to go that way and, uh, strongly enough for them that they're okay, that your feelings are totally different and you're going to go a totally other way. And that's just completely fine. Um, and, uh, you know, we don't understand that because again, we're trying to live off the biblical narrative and, uh, I've used the terminology of the reliable written record that we have this. So like, why would I look for anything else? But I realize some of that for me is generationally driven as well. That, like I, I'm going to take the information given to me, and that's the way I'm going to live. And this generation has grown up with nothing but information all the time at their fingertips,
0: and they're hearing so many different narratives. Yeah, uh, they're they're hearing narratives. Well, you can, you know, answer these questions of life. You know, does God exist? Um, is does truth exist is your truth your own truth you know mm-hmm. and all of these things and so they they've walked away going well obviously no truth exists so what truth am i going to live by what's going to dictate my life well my truth Whatever I feel, whatever I think, well, that must be right. So if I don't want to live in this body anymore, my truth says that I wasn't created this way. I wasn't made in God's image. I don't have a purpose in life because I create those things. Mm -hmm. So that's going to dictate my feelings and, and my decisions and my actions. And I think it's so important for us to understand that this Generation Z, which they're saying is only going to have 4% of the people holding to a biblical worldview, mm-hmm. which means that only 4% of the, of the educated ones today are going to look to the Bible for truth or for answers in life, yeah. which we know that the scriptures say that it's given us the answers for life, right? Right. Yeah. Well, if, if that's true, what is the responsibility of the church? Mm. And this is convicting to me personally. Yeah. You know, I have two, three, three kids in my home right now. One getting ready to graduate. My oldest would be considered a Gen Z student. Yeah. So if her generation is only gonna have four percent, how can I equip in my home? How can I equip in the church to be able to help them have conversations that that bring up questions and answers for life to help point them to the truth? Because at the end of the day, we're celebrating the resurrection because we know that one day we're going to face judgment. Yeah. And in that judgment, we don't want people standing there in chains bound by their sin. We want them to be able to be free from that yeah. and to live eternally with God. So how are we going to do that?
1: Yeah, it's a daunting task because when you realize if you're, if you're thinking about 4%, you've got uh, got four, four students out of every 100 how are the four going to influence what the group does, especially when the group uh, isn't even looking to the mass to make its decision. They're only looking at their own feelings. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one side is, how do I influence everybody's feelings in my group? The, the other side is, but if, they're, if every individual is driven by their own feelings, you've got to reach that one. If you can get their feelings to go, wait, it's not about what I feel. Mm-hmm. There is truth in this scripture. They're less influenced by peer than perhaps generations from before. So it, there may be an opportunity to pick off one at a time. And you know, we see in the church a real, I think, discipleship movement uh-huh. uh, in the church of the idea of one <coughs> by one. Family by family, disciple people. Less in the programized discipleship I think we've seen in the church in the past. Or Set up a Bible study, invite everybody to come. Everybody buys the same book. Everybody studies the same book. Everybody memorizes the same scriptures. And that discipleship model worked for that generation. But I think one reason we see with within the millennial generation especially, let's disciple one by one by one. Maybe a more effective tool to reach this Gen Z group because you're probably going to have to pick them out of the crowd. You're probably not going to influence like the four aren't going to influence all hundred. But if each four influences one out of the rest of the hundred, the other 96,
0: yes. now in
1: a short period of time, you've got eight out of that hundred. Now you just got 92 people you got to reach. And so there, there may be a drift within the church of the way it's thinking about discipleship. And an opportunity existing together where if it's just about this person's feelings, I influence that person. And so I, I think it begins with exactly what you're doing. I have a student in this. I'm training her to think right, believe right, teach right, and ask the right questions. So when she's in a college setting and mm-hmm. she's sitting with somebody that's going, Oh, yeah, I, I go to church, but you know I just don't feel like that's truth
0: hmm
1: okay well I can talk to her and I can deal with her and I can ask her questions mm-hmm. and I don't have to worry about the other students in this class yet but I'll talk with her and then if her, she begins to go wait a minute you mean my feelings are different than the Bible's and I should trust the Bible mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah you should uh, okay I, I'm getting her and so I I think maybe that's part of that answer um but it, it's a daunting task
0: yeah yeah and what I love is that God has equipped us to be able to do it yeah. and and to not grow weary in it because don't grow weary right yeah. right because then it produces you're going to see the harvest and I, I love that he says, you know pray for the workers. Mm Because the workers are few. The harvest is right there, but the workers are few. And I I think we really have to be able to get to work, start answering some of these questions that people have in life. And one of the things that I've been working on with my own kids, just to leave an example, and we can both leave a couple of examples of this for the resurrection, Mm -hmm. has been an area I've been studying in recently, and that is... One of the questions that comes out of Gen Z is, is, is the Bible really the Old Testament and the New Testament? Are these the same gods in here? Is right. this really something that works together? Does this really tell this grand narrative? And we've talked about the fact that it discusses the creation, fall, the redemption, mm-hmm. and then restoration, what it's yeah. going to be like after this life. and. And what's most intriguing to me, I think, is this idea that the God of the Old Testament reveals Himself just the same in the New Mm -hmm. Testament. And so we have this fallen state, and then we see Israel in this fallen state. And Yahweh says to Israel, to the leaders that aren't doing what's right, he, He says, you're not going to be the leaders. You're not going to be there anymore, right? We see this in Jeremiah 23. We see this in Ezekiel 34. We see this in Zechariah as well, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And what does he say? He says, I'm going to come as the good shepherd. Yeah. And then in the New Testament, in John chapter 10, we can read that whole passage of how he's explaining that he's the good shepherd. And the Pharisees, they want to stone him for Mm -hmm. it, right? Right, right. I mean, you see right after that. And so I know there's so much more to the study of what I'm saying, but when I teach this to my kids, when I teach this to my apologetic students, Mm -hmm. I say, look at this in John chapter 10, how he explains he's a good shepherd. He yeah. uses these expressions and they understand that what Jesus is saying is what Yahweh said in the Old Testament. Yeah. He said, I'm coming and these are going to be the things that I'm going to do. And he's doing those very things. You can also see it all through the book of Matthew. But here's the thing, is that when I was teaching this to my kids, One of the kids looks up, their eyes get real big, and it's like an aha moment. I love these times. And they go, oh, I know what you're getting ready to say. And I said, what's that? And they said, Jesus is God, and he came to save his people. And I said, you're absolutely right, but what else does that say? I said, that shows the continuity of the reliability between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that's not it. Jesus is coming again to restore his people. And so how can we begin to share this message with other people so that they can see we don't have to make up a new narrative. We don't have to try to explain where the world began. We don't have to try to explain what's gone wrong with the world. God has given us that, and he's shown us, and he's saved us to be able to enjoy it eternally. That's just one example I can think of kind of using in the home, using the scriptures, and being able to share the narrative.
1: Oh, yeah. And just that picture of Jesus as the good shepherd, so many times people go to that passage, and, and they immediately take a right turn and go, so let's think about shepherds and how Jesus is like a shepherd and miss the whole point of what he was doing to go, <laughs> I, I'm not saying I want to be a shepherd to you. I gave you shepherds and they failed. I came to replace them and to be the shepherds you need and the story's not over and, and that's the good news of it is the resurrection marks I'm right, I'm accurate, I like, the claim the claim that we know how the world began is not the most audacious claim. Like, yeah. And I know that shocks people that Christians will say, no, we know how the world came about. It was created. It was made. And it was made in seven literal days, I believe. And, and that seems like, how can you claim to know that's true? Well, listen, that's not the biggest claim. The biggest claim is God became a man and he died and rose from the dead by his own choice. Like, that's a... I believe that. That's a bigger claim than how the world came about. And what the resurrection tells is the story's not over. He is coming to restore. And so all the things that we're dreading, all the things that we walk in, all the problems, all the challenges, that we're trying to create this storyline to figure out, we have the storyline that tells us why it is the way it is and that it will be fixed. That's the good news of the resurrection and what the hope is. And those other storylines don't give that answer. They don't, even if I'm living off my own feelings, my feelings are going to change. So my mm-hmm. future is unwritten still. I'm having to write it every day. He's written my future if I'll believe and trust in that. Right?
0: Yeah, that is so good. And I think that's what we have to keep telling people. We have to keep, be, we have to keep telling the truth to others so that they can see that we do have answers for life. And not just that we have answers, they're not dictated by our feelings or by suggestions, but they're given outside of mankind. Yeah. They're outside of who we are, and we can trust them, and we can follow, and there's so much more, but we'll stop here for today.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, and, that, and that's a good word to stop on. We pray that uh, this Easter Sunday, you'll be in a a church celebrating the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Deanna.